Welcome back to The Mining Pod. On today's show, we're joined by Ash Gnut of US Bitcoin and Scott Duffy of the Celsius Creditors Committee. In this show, we're talking about everything with Celsius, Fahrenheit, and US Bitcoin. US Bitcoin recently entered an agreement to purchase and operate some of Celsius's assets, which are now under management from a new company called Fahrenheit. We go through the obligations between the different parties, the new operations of the fleet that US Bitcoin is going to run, and how this impacts the merger between HUT8 and US Bitcoin. Did you know that you can make more money by merge mining other networks? Check out makemoremoneymining.com for information on BIPs 300 and 301, a proposal to bring more revenue to Bitcoin miners through sidechains and merge mining called drive chains. Increase your mining revenues and learn more about participating in Bitcoin governance by visiting makemoremoneymining.com. Are you a miner who wants to activate Bitcoin improvements? Check out activation.watch. See what Bitcoin improvements the Bitcoin community, developers, and miners are considering and show support by signaling for one of many BIPs up for consideration. Activation.watch. Is your mining operation happening ready? Take control of your own future with the right energy strategy. Linkcoin Energy Trading Platform is a tool used by miners to design, monitor, and seamlessly orchestrate sophisticated energy strategies within electricity markets such as ERCOT, New York, and PJM. Avoid penalties, participate in demand response programs, and capture hundreds of thousands of dollars per megawatt per year by deploying the right block and index strategy. Secure your competitive edge at linkcoin.com. Do you have dinner plans November 17th? Well, you do now. Down in Fort Worth, Texas at the North American Blockchain Summit, Satoshi Action Group is hosting a dinner along with a lot of our friends in the Bitcoin mining industry. You can join us November 17th at 6.30 p.m. by going to satoshidinner.com and using promo code MININGPOD to get 25% off your ticket. Again, that's satoshidinner.com. Use code MININGPOD to get 25% off your ticket. We'll be seeing you there. Are you a retail or institutional investor interested in Bitcoin mining companies? The Miner Mag brings you free data and analysis from all major NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin mining operations to know who stands out. Check out visualized metrics and data-dependent stories at theminermag.com. Welcome back to The Mining Pod. Today we're joined by Asher Gnut and Scott Duffy. We are talking about Fahrenheit, aka Nuco, a company that is coming in, won the bidding process for the Celsius assets. It's turning around, standing up. Not only a new company, but also a new mega Bitcoin miner here in North America uh, with U.S. Bitcoin. So we have Asher from U.S. Bitcoin to talk about that. And then Scott is joining along to tell us about the, the whole process with Fahrenheit winning over these assets as of now. So welcome both to the show. Thanks, Will. Thanks for having us. I'm really excited for today's conversation for a few reasons. One of which being that I personally know some people who are involved with the Celsius uh, debacle and we won't spend too much time on that, but obviously that was a very successful business for quite a while, and then it turned sour quite quickly. And the back half of Celsius was this huge mining arm that a lot of people didn't know about. I mean, it had well over 100,000 machines. Uh, they were using that Bitcoin to fund a lot of the processes on their backside for giving yield to people. And like we said before we start recording here, those those assets are actually worth something as compared to a lot of these other Chapter 11 cases. So. U.S. Bitcoin, a conglomerate of other parties, came in and set up this new company and is in the process of doing so still. And we're going to go through what those assets mean, how they're going to be set up alongside U.S. Bitcoin, the relationship between U.S. Bitcoin and this new company, and essentially how we're going to see the formation of a new mega Bitcoin miner. So, Ash, I'm going to hand it to you first just to give like some ground layer context for people who are maybe a little confused. We won't dwell on this too long, of course, because we want to get to the mining information, which there is a ton here to go through. Yeah, most definitely. And Scott, I'm going to kick it off to you in a moment because I think your background and what led you here is really interesting. And I think that's a good foundation for just the perspective of what's driving Yuko out of Celsius and kind of uh, how to maximize credit or value. From my seat, when we looked at Celsius, we obviously knew about the company, um, knew the folks within the company as they were building and they had spent a lot of money deploying into the Bitcoin mining space, right? North of seven, $800 million, if you look at kind of the public bankruptcy records. And a lot of those assets, as you said, bought about 122,000 machines. Sites were, were built, a lot of hosting with third parties. And so when we first looked at uh, Celsius in the bankruptcy, it was Q4 of 2022. And we had wanted to put in a bid to just acquire the mining assets. But at that time, I think the process was the goal was to try to sell the whole company in totality. And 
that was obviously a time in the market where many companies were distressed and I don't think there were many buyers out there at that size. And so after that process, what ended up happening was there was a stocking horse bid that was put in. And the idea was let's build a new business out of a portion of the kind of illiquid and liquid assets and then distribute the rest of the liquid assets to creditors. And so when we saw that, we said, you know what? We think we have a very strong grounding in operating these mining facilities. Today, U.S. Bitcoin manages a bit over 730 megawatts of infrastructure, and that's across three business units. One is our self-mining fleet where we build, manage, but that's kind of a smaller portion of our business as we continue to grow. And the second is our um, managed services businesses, which is basically like a property management business where we run facilities for third parties and uh, that we partner with. And out of the compute network bankruptcy, for example, Generate Capital is one of those partners that we end up running those facilities for them because they ended up getting these facilities um, as a debtor in, in that bankruptcy. And then the third is co-location, so hosting machines for third parties. And so when we looked at the opportunity to build a new business, we said, we believe that we understand mining really well and can provide value because 122,000 machines is no joke. It's a lot of machines and it's a lot of scale. And to be able to really execute, build that out and operate efficiency, efficiently, I think you need the foundation of scale to already be there and be able to kind of add this on and grow into it. So whether it be megawatts in the pipeline, ability to build out sites really economically and efficiently, software to help drive these sites in, in the market conditions we're in, a lot of it has to do with how you're managing the energy and selling back energy and uh, all of those automizations. And so we said, okay, we think we can do mining really well. Let's bring in a group of friends of ours and partners that can create a holistic new crypto company that addresses not just mining. And so that's how Fahrenheit was formed uh, with Mike Arrington, who manages Arrington Capital, which is a crypto fund. He was the former founder of TechCrunch. And then you have Steve Kokinos, who was a former CEO of Algorand, and he's going to be the CEO of the new company. And then you have uh, Noah Jessup, who runs Proof Group and has had background in the mining space. He sold one of his companies to Core Scientific, and it has a fund now and has Ethereum staking as well. And then lastly, Robbie Kazu comes from more of a hedge fund background in, in terms of how do we manage risk in the new entity and grow. And so we formed that entity. And I think we're the underdogs going into the auction um, pre the process and said, you know what, let's just go in with the right mindsets. And honestly, after meeting folks like Scott, I think we're even more fired up and driven about how can we like everything else aside, I think there's a great opportunity here to like build an amazing story from something that didn't turn out so well and to give people faith kind of in this sector and, the, and growth. And a lot of the folks in this bankruptcy, unfortunately, are retail investors that basically put money in thinking the capital will save and now all that is at risk. And so an amazing opportunity to try to build real equity value outside of the distributions that are going to come as well. And so I'll hand that off to Scott because he has a fascinating story about what brought him here and what kind of drives him in um, what we're doing and kind of guiding the direction of the new business. Thanks, Asher. Uh, so I let me uh, start from the beginning. Um, I, I mined Bitcoin on GPUs many, many years ago. Um, and then had one of the first ASICs. It's actually behind me. That's uh, I thought it would be appropriate for the podcast. I love that. Thank you. For uh, one that. of the first machines Avalon ever made. Fortunately, I did not buy from Butterfly Labs. And um, had mined some Bitcoin, participated in the Ethereum crowd sale, and uh, realized very quickly I was not a very good trader. Tried to find ways to passively grow my holdings. Uh, I lent on some exchanges, which, you know, led me to Celsius. And I, I thought, you know, pick projects that you're sure about and then try to grow those positions. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Celsius made some bad decisions with customer funds. Uh, they they inv invested in long dated assets that they couldn't get out of. And, you know, they they lost money in several, you know, questionable business decisions. Um, one of the decisions they made was to buy um, seven to eight hundred million dollars worth of of mining machines, and so, um, I'm one of seven people on the creditors committee who has been tasked as as the clients to work with uh, the law firm, the financial advisors, and the bankers 
to maximize the value of these assets. Um, we were appointed in July of 22 and, you know, very quickly tried to come up to speed. This has been my full-time job now for, for a year and a half. Unfortunately, it, you know, not a job that pays, but it's worth it because, you know, we're, we're the, like Asher said, we're the, we're the one company that has been able to reorganize these assets and reemerge. Uh, you know, we're, we're on the doorstep. So when we looked at selling the mining assets, there, there were some offers, but the value, as we believed, was just not commensurate with, with having a mining company that was fully functioning. And, and so we, we've really put in a lot of time over the last year trying to figure out, could we do it independently? Do we need uh, a sponsor? And we had a very long auction with a couple different competing bidders. Ultimately, Fahrenheit won out. And uh, the, the plan is really centered around Bitcoin mining with U.S. Bitcoin standing up the, these assets and, uh, and then to build additional bit businesses because the equity is the best way to monetize all of these illiquid assets that are collected here in Celsius. And in terms of, uh, you know, people that owed Celsius money, institutional loans, um, you know, things that weren't going to get high value if you just liquidated it. This was the best way to preserve it. And, you know, when you look at the exahash we have to stand up here, it's on par with some of the largest miners uh, that are publicly traded today. And I think to add to, to that, what Scott just mentioned, it, this is public now, but Celsius and Core Scientific reached a settlement on the kind of claims that they had, the administrative claims, the uh, it was about $300 million in claims, which are different from kind of the convertible note that they had outstanding. And because the new business is being built rather than fully liquidated, there was an opportunity to basically find a business agreement there where Muco and Celsius is going to get a 215 to 240 megawatt facility that can be built as a part of the mining division to vertically integrate, where otherwise that would have been basically a claim that was sold off or was litigated. And so being able to use the assets that exist to try to drive more equity value and try to drive more growth. Yeah, that that was one of the places, Asher, where, you know, the Celsius mining company really ran into uh, work stoppage was, you know, you can get the know-how, you can get the machines, but the power is the hard part. And, you know, not having uh, a site on that scale to build really ham hamstrung the operation. So th this deal with Core, I think, is really good for both parties. Yeah, I definitely want to get to that Core deal a little bit later because uh, it was an interesting headline from September at the very least. I want to contextualize the assets here uh, really quickly before we move back into the mining details. There's a bunch of ETH, there's a bunch of Bitcoin, there's a bunch of other assets that were tied up in this deal. Can you guys quickly like break down the allocations of those things and then the percentage of like maybe like the the mining assets within that and then we'll jump from there to talk about all all the the mining fleet and the miners that are out there maybe scott you can start with all the assets in the bankruptcy and whole and then we can kind of funnel that down to like what Nuco will basically be building off as kind of the starting ground well so there was cryptocurrency um not enough to cover the liabilities and it was more than just bitcoin and eth there, you know, were notes, their equities, first note, um, claims against various parties like Stakehound, um, potentially Tether, and uh, then a lot of illiquid. There were institutional loans um, and then some other illiquid investments and in just um, different mining companies, um, different crypto projects. And so... A lot. Some of these were were time locked. I believe the the Maddox's about to be unlocked, as far as is that asset. And then there's the the mining business, which is four sites in Midland as of right now. A lot of mining machines, and then hosting contracts with a few counterparties. Um. Let's see, Asher. What what am I le leaving out? I, I'm not looking at it right here in front of me. Yeah, no, that's right. So, I would say. You can say north of kind of $2 billion of crypto and equivalent assets. Then you have the mining division, 
which is about 122,000 machines. And at the time, pre the core scientific uh, settlement was 87 megawatts of vertically owned facilities and then hosting agreements. And then you had a lot of illiquid assets, right? So you had investments and funds um, and different crypto exchanges and different crypto coins. And then you also had actual debt that was given to folks like miners, right? So you there was money lent to Rhodium, to Core Scientific, to Moss, and so on and so forth. And so those, I think, are the kind of main buckets of, of assets. And so the idea is the illiquid assets, which is the illiquid loan book, the illiquid investments, and the illiquid, obviously, mining equipment. Let's take all of those, and then let's add and fund an additional $500 million of Ethereum, which I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Um, and then the rest, we try to give back as much as we can to the creditors. And the 500 million Ethereum, there's actually a toggle because on the Fahrenheit side, we're investing money up front as well. And so depending on the mechanism of that investment, that may end up being 450 instead of 500. And there's also obviously decisions that we're making now to build the mining division with uh, the new kind of Cedarville side and so forth. And so that toggle will change over the course of the next couple months. But the idea was, Let's take these liquid assets, put them in a new co and be able to finance that new co with real cash to start and also an Ethereum staking business and be able to have a multifaceted kind of revenue stream and profit stream and have that new co be the driving entity to be able to compete at the highest scale, right? Because with the amount of creditors that are a part of Celsius, inherently, this is going to be a public company coming out of bankruptcy. And so if you're going to be a public company, how do you make sure you're best set up to trade out those higher multiples to be able to be competitive with kind of the largest miners out there? And that's how this portfolio of assets and kind of the Ethereum piece was put together. And we had modeled it after the stocking horse bid that existed. And then Scott and the folks did a great job of driving down the fees and everything. I think they, it was, Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was over nine figures of savings in the two week period in the auction. So um, they did a great job in kind of driving down our fees and increasing kind of creditor uh, uh, upside. And again, we're super excited by what's next. Yeah, so I'll add some notes into the show notes for listeners who are curious about more details about the bidding process and all that. There's also a great spaces from, I believe, July that I'll uh, note in there as Asher and Scott are on there and a, f- a few others, I think like uh, Arrington Capital's on there, among others. So that's a great piece if you want to learn more about the bidding process and the assets involved. But here we're going to focus on the mining side of things, which there is a lot to get to. Asher, I'm going to throw it right back to you. You guys have mentioned the public aspect of this a few times. The best way to go forward and maximize value for creditors is to create equity. This sort of comes out of the thinking that, hey, most public companies that are crypto companies are miners. So maybe if we just follow that, uh, you can maximize value for everybody. There's also all these machines that are there already. And then the pairing with US Bitcoin allows you to have the flexibility to secure energy. Can you walk us through all the decisions there? And then we'll go down into the mining fleet. Yeah. And I think highest level is if you just think about kind of raw economics, you can liquidate these machines in the market today, which you'll get maybe single dollars per terahash if there's that much depth in terms of buying volume, right? Because you have all these uh, machines on the market today. And then you have the equity value of what miners are trading at when a machine is actually plugged in and is a real operating business that generates profit and is able to trade energy. And so I think from the creditor perspective and from the debtor's perspective was we'll be able to drive a lot more value in this estate and the returns we can give to creditors if we have this as an operating business rather than just assets that we liquidate and sell. And so that was the driver of putting this into a new company that's publicly listed. And if you look at the NASDAQ, as you mentioned, the majority of publicly traded crypto companies are mining companies. So there's a pretty easy way to comp the business of what is this business valued at for third-party investors who are looking at it. Obviously, there's other portions of this new company aside from just mining. But to start, I think the largest operating side of the business um, will will be on the mining side. And um, unlike if you look at 2021, there were a lot of mining companies. Everyone was growing. Everyone was going public. And most of them didn't able, weren't able to actually execute on the timelines, on the costs that were originally projected, right? And so I think as a part of NUCO, the idea of bringing US Bitcoin in was let's decrease and try to reduce as much as possible our execution risk and give investor confidence that we have a 
partner who's both an equity owner partner and also a service contractor to come in who already has scale and to use that platform to be able to help basically stabilize and to help vertically integrate this asset base and have it become a strong independent mining uh, and crypto uh, business. Scott, from the creditor side, when you guys are looking at this, what was like the learning curve on picking up where the market was for all these different bids and then the assets that US Bitcoin brought to hand? US Bitcoin obviously also went through its own process over the last three years where it was aggressively going out and making deals with people or purchasing assets. I mean, uh, Asher, we've even talked about like uh, on a previous podcast, like the the Compute North assets you guys purchased. So you guys have evolved and changed over this period. I'm wondering from a creditor's perspective, how you guys thought about this? Well, I can tell you that it was excruciatingly hard um well i mean very impressive people were were interested in these assets and it you know it was not a clear-cut decision although i believe that we made the right one it was you know better and then best and so i i think from from my i don't i can only speak from my perspective but um i, I think that the expertise in mining was really uh at the forefront for for me knowing that this was going to be the you know the core operating business to begin and and the the easiest way to bridge from a liquidation value to what uh, asher had referenced the value of a machine that is plugged in as part of a operating business and the equity value of that machine what was the fastest way to increase what we had versus what we could have so it and and that was that learning curve, you know, it, it took some time. And then, the, you know, the other decisions as to, you know, where, where to list this equity, where, where we're going to get the best multiple, um, and, and then just how regulators are, are going to view this business. The, these are questions that, you know, even the most well-informed people don't know the answers to. And, and so, it's it's a question of what is the lowest risk, highest recovery path, and I believe that that is what we chose. Love that, and I'm sure the creditors in general did as well. Let's talk about the mining assets on hand from a U.S. Bitcoin standpoint. So, Asher, what are some locations that these units are probably going to be placed at? Uh, tell me about the the mining fleet itself, um, just for reference. A few people have put out some detailed information about this. I believe it's even in court filing, so we'll link that in today's show notes including a great piece from hash rate index that sort of goes through all the stuff we're about to talk about here. <laughs> Today, there's about 122,000 machines, uh, average about 100 terahash per machine. So I would say the fleet, when you look at kind of the network average, is within kind of competitive rounds, right? It's not the S21, uh, primarily kind of S19, S19 Pro machines. And so that's kind of the overall fleet. About 87 megawatts of existing facilities across four sites in West Texas. So the Rebel, East Isles, Garden, and uh, Styles sites. And then the rest uh, is either hosted or is kind of getting prepared to be uh, hosted within kind of the vertically integrated site that we're going to be building, right? And so when we were in discussion with Core, we had other sites in the pipeline as well. Uh, and that deal, we basically said, okay, look, if we can find a deal deal core, then we'll prioritize this site and we'll dedicate capital and growth into the site. And that's where we'll vertically integrate the machines. So we have basically self-mining exposure in our, in the ERCOT region. And then we have hosted machines. For example, there's about 8,500 machines that are hosted at our Niagara Falls facility in New York in the NISO grid. And then there's facility, there's machines hosted elsewhere as well. And so as the company grows, we'll have roughly around 300 megawatts um, in ERCOT. That's vertically integrated, own proprietary owned machines under NUCO. And then we'll continue to kind of build out new facilities, both within that region, but also diversified uh, throughout the U.S. few follow-ups there. I'm curious about like the health of the mining fleet at this point. You mentioned the efficiency of it, probably around 30 to 35 joules per terahash maybe is like the aggregate fleet. Yeah, about 30, 29-30, um, yeah. 29-30, okay. So maybe definitely competitive then. Uh, compared to other mining fleets, which is great. About the health, though, I'm curious about that. Since Celsius previously went through like the hosting model, and there's not always like great health in those circumstances because you don't have the ability to like watch over your machines all the time. You're entrusting it with third party hands. 
How have you guys sort of like diagnosed the health of this fleet of units? Yeah, look, I think so. Luckily, we've gone through this once before with Compute North, right? And that was on the infrastructure side where here it's a little bit different because you have an operating team. They're fully dedicated. They're really working. You have the creditors who have weekly calls with them to understand progress. And so the business is operating where when we had taken over the Compute North assets, it was kind of running in this bankruptcy distress environment for about a year and they were building out the facilities in that scenario um and there wasn't capital right we're here at least uh, there's capital to kind of make sure the business is being well maintained and so it took us about two to three quarters to really stabilize all of those assets and get them to kind of peak performance on the compute north side of things and so i think here what's good is you have an operating business that's being funded that's that's operating but the reality as you said is as we kind of bring these facilities and vertic- these machines to vertically integrated facilities, there's going to be work that needs to be done. There's going to be repair that needs to be done. Um, and so I think as we kind of transition, as we start managing more and more of these machines, we'll be able to kind of manage and own them. But currently, they're at the third-party facilities. When there are breaks, the current core scientist or current um, Celsius team, they will take the miners. They'll bring them to third-party repair centers that they have. And so short answer is, I, I think it's not going to be horrible, but there, there's work to be done. Work to be done. Tell me a little bit about the relationship between U.S. Bitcoin and this new company that's going to be created. And there's a lot of details in here from penalties for not building out sites quickly enough. There's relationships and, and payments for uh, being like the hosting provider and running the sites themselves and you're building out sites. So there's a lot here to go through, uh, but curious about that. Yeah, so I think simply put, the way that we kind of structured it, so there's a Fahrenheit entity, right? So it's a group of five different uh, entities that have a diverse kind of set of experiences and perspectives that we believe can add value to the growth of the new company. So that entity is going to be putting an investment into uh, NewCo to purchase equity at uh, NAV. And that's kind of part one. And then that entity is hired as the manager and Steve Kokinas and Joel Block, who's our current CFO, will be the CEO and CFO of the new entity, right? And so we'll be a part of the consortium Fahrenheit that is basically in charge of tasking of managing, staffing and building up the new co-entity. In addition, there's basically a mining management agreement with US Bitcoin specifically to manage the mining fleet. And I think where a lot of these things came in, which was like our cap to build a megawatt, cap of OPEX, like all of these things where while we were in the auction, I was really trying to explain that not all mining companies are equal and not all operators are equal. And it's hard because you have, I mean, in the auction, Scott, I mean, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, you had dozens of different folks from creditors to professionals, to lawyers, to bankers, and not all of them were mining experts, right? And this industry is very unique. It's very different. And so how can they take the word of me versus someone else on, we're good. And it's like, okay, what does good mean, right? What does great mean? And so what we ended up saying is, you know what, we're like, we'll like, you don't have to just trust our word. We'll actually put penalties if we can't meet what we're saying and be great operators for you all. And so I think that ended up being something that really gave comfort to everybody, which is these folks are not just trying to sell us that they're really good, but they're actually willing to put their money where their mouth is and actually take on penalties if they can't meet those metrics. Um, and so that's where a lot of these kind of protections came in for NUCO. Um, and from our perspective on the U.S. Bitcoin side, we just feel very confident in our ability to do so. And we believe that like we gave ourselves enough buffer, but also even with that buffer, we're able to still beat out kind of competitors and how they build efficiencies and, 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 and whatnot. And so I think it ended up being a good balance of something we were very comfortable feeling that we would uphold and something that really gave teeth to NUCO to say, we're bringing on a great operator and they're putting their money where their mouth is, where they're not just selling us on a great vision and then not going to actually walk the talk afterwards. I definitely have some follow-up for you, Asher, but I want to ask Scott about that process as well. Kind of mirroring my last question, like what was it like going through all the different people who were trying to put this together, putting together different plans for hosting and operating these machines? Well, you know, there's a, a lot of deals that look great on paper, but, you know, turn out to be terrible, terrible deals, to paraphrase uh, my friend Quinn Lawler. And, uh, you know, we wanted to make sure that there were guardrails in place to to align our incentives and to make sure that, you know, anytime you build something, 
there's cost overrun and, and, and there's scheduled delay. And so with the happening up, upcoming, we wanted to be sure that we were getting machines online and as quickly as possible. And that, you know, every day that we're in bankruptcy or building is costing creditors money. And we wanted that same level of urgency to be felt by uh, the plan sponsors as well. So I think we, you know, through the auction process, took the fee structure from one where it was a little unbalanced in terms of, of um, a return on investment for the sponsor and shifted it to a more aligned incentive of, you know, the Fahrenheit group owns equity and we all do well when Nuco does well. So let's go through a little bit more of details of this mining operation on behalf of Nuco. So US Bitcoin will be operating the sites. They'll be also building different sites. There's penalties if these sites are not uh, up and running on time that the creditors are okay with. And then penalties within certain budget caps, right? Because we said it would cost us X to build a site. It would cost us X to operate a site. So kind of caps on the cost of those builds and gotcha. operation. Okay. Okay. And then you just mentioned the hash, the uh, happening, which is another thing that kind of terrible this is like happening right then. So I don't know if you guys ever felt some pressure from that, but tell me a little bit about like making the economics of this deal, right? Because it kind of feels like you guys are making an omelet here where you have like lots of different ingredients and there's like pressure on behalf of getting this done correctly uh, on the US Bitcoin side. Like you have uh, what you just mentioned there, right? Where there's like there's penalties and there's caps on those things and there's timelines to get this done. How do you guys sort of like blend this all together with happening coming up? And maybe to put a succinct question here for you, Asher, how do you guys think about it from a U.S. Bitcoin side when it comes to getting this operation going and then paying yourselves at the same time to get it done? Yeah, we so when we went into kind of this process and honestly, since kind of end of last year, when a lot of companies went bankrupt, we were able to see a bunch of information, right? That was out there in the public and was like, wow. People spend that much building a facility or this is kind of what their cost bases on miners were. And so when we went into the auction, we didn't try to oversell. We just said, hey, this is what we've done historically. We had a bunch of references from all facets of kind of our background in terms of building, um, manufacture, so forth, to kind of give people the confidence to speak to folks that have worked with us. And so whether it be from a timeline perspective of how we build or from a budget perspective of how much we build, we just told them how we operate and what we've done historically, right? And it ended up becoming a pretty big difference of what kind of the market operates or builds at. Um, and when we when people are like, oh, can you actually do this, et cetera? We're like, you know what? What if on our side, we're like, what if we added a buffer? And then we said, this is our cap, which is still cheaper than everyone else. And we feel very comfortable in the ability to do so because that's just how we've done it historically and how we're continuing doing. And ideally, costs will continue to go down and fishing will continue to go up, not the other way around. And so we feel comfortable. Um, and for this, the, this business segment is important to us because as we're continuing to grow, we want to be an infrastructure company and managed services company. And so being able to have kind of that fiat revenue stream, we don't get the massive upside on the cash side when the markets run. But as Scott mentioned, the alignment in the structure that was unique was we have equity in Yuko, right? So when Yuko really drives and grows and is successful, that's where our real upside is and in that growth and that equity um, of the entity. And so I think going into the having, we feel comfortable to be able to have more scale. Um, Noah on the uh, Fahrenheit's team, I think, said this very nicely. We're building like the Costco model where with more scale, we can drive cheaper kind of products and goods and services across all the partners that we work with. And so adding kind of this scale onto the 730 megawatts we're already managing will be over a gigawatt in management. And ideally with that economies of scale, we can drive efficiencies across our whole portfolio of assets that we manage. Um, and then for Nuco, I mean, going in with this fleet, with more vertical integration, with a strong cash position, I think perfectly sets Nuco up to be able to manage through the halving and candidly find great opportunities to grow during that period of time, which I think will will be a rocky period of time in the markets. Two more questions on the mining side. One, you mentioned that a lot of these sites are in Texas. When you guys are doing like the allocations and breakdowns for energy provisions since you're in the ERCOT grid, how does that revenue get split up or that potential revenue get split up? Does it go to the NUCO or does that go partially to US Bitcoin as an operator? I've seen a few different structures for how this is broken down. Yeah, so 
we are an operating entity for NUCO. NUCO owns the sites. NUCO owns the miners. NUCO um, takes all the revenues from from that. And so we're purely an, an operating partner in, in that regard. Obviously, we have an ownership stake on, on on a different part of it. And so that's different. Like at the alpha side, we own the facility and Celsius is hosting kind of an interim hosting agreement there right now where there is a profit share and there's kind of a, a cost share structure. But here, NUCO is basically vertically integrating and, and owning everything and the economics with that as well. Gotcha. Thanks for that clarification. One thing I read about and heard about a few different ways is that U.S. Bitcoin is leveraging its relationship with a few different ASIC manufacturers to be able to keep the fleet up to spec uh, and then maybe probably even like trade in and out machines to keep the efficiency high. Can you detail that a little bit more? Uh, From my understanding, there was one specific manufacturer you're working with, but I'm not quite clear if that's the case. Yeah, look, I think right now the three largest manufacturers in our sector are Bitmain, MicroBT, and Kadam, right? There are new kind of companies that are coming in, making some noise, and we'll see how they tape out. And um, fingers crossed that people do well and they're able to execute and we have more competition in the space. But those are the three core ma- manufacturers today because the other ones have kind of fizzled out over time that were started back in 2021. Um, so luckily, like me and my co-founder, Mike, we both speak Chinese. We've known these folks back in like the first kind of bull run in, in the sector back in kind of 15, 16, 17, and have had longstanding relations with them all. With them all in really our ability to grow in 2021 was due to the relations we had with them. They were willing to give us really kind of preferred pricing as the markets were scaling and people were paying 60, 70, $80 a terahash. And so we've had a deeply rooted partnership um, with those manufacturers kind of since day one. And during the process of this auction process, we were fortunate enough where we were able to get support from the manufacturers to kind of support our bid process, whether that be from kind of a reference check perspective of, hey, these guys are good operators, they're honest operators, and they execute and they do what they say, or, hey, we'll actually help uh, in the process of this bid. And as it was made public, we didn't announce the specific uh, manufacturers, but there were coupons, there were joint mining models, et cetera, that were put on the table. Um, And we've been fortunate that these folks want to see us succeed. And I think right now, it's not even wanting to see us succeed, is wanting to see our platform succeed, which is all the partners that we operate facilities for. Because the larger we're able to grow, the larger our partners are able to grow, the more demand there is for their machine. So it's it's kind of self-fulfilling, right? It's if I help you guys become better, you'll have more money, you'll buy more machines for me, et cetera. Um, and so I think we're in a lucky state where that with more scale, they want to support us because we're going to be one of the largest consumers of their products. Definitely. So we got about 10 minutes left here. I want to talk about two things. One, the possible public listing of this company, and two, uh, US Bitcoin's appetite for, I guess, uh, aggressive and risky decisions. Meaning you guys went out and purchased all these Compute North assets, then you guys decided to go through a merger with HUD8 that's still ongoing. And now you've uh, been involved with this Fahrenheit deal. And what we've seen from that has been pretty incredible. Let's get to that question in a second, though. Tell me a little bit about this listing process. We saw a lot of miners publicly list in 2020, 2021, and then it just kind of stopped. And there's been a few who have tried to get through. It was like Core Scientific and a few others kind of eked out at the end there and, and got listed. But since then, it's been kind of hard. And there's been some like rumors and ideas floating around that like the SEC isn't really wanting to list public miners. Is that something you guys are fearful of? And Scott, definitely want to get your take on this from the creditor's perspective, how you guys are concerned about going to public market. Well, it you know, it's certainly un- somewhat unpredictable and, and certainly a concern. But, um, you know, I know that Joel has been working all summer long uh, preparing the audit. And, you know, I, I don't want to speak for them, but my... Um, my feeling on the situation is they they want to do their job and give investors adequate disclosure for this new co. And, you know, we, we need to make sure as, and this is all public that Celsius's financials were not in great shape um, b- before the, you know, the, 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 the new managers came in. So there was a lot of work to do to clean it up, to make sure that we provide the level of disclosure that's necessary. And, you know, we're in active conversations and I think their trajectory is good. It's just a question of timing. 
That's right. And kind of to add market context there as well is I don't think it was like I know there's kind of rumors and stuff out there about are they stopping crypto companies from getting public from a regulation standpoint. I think the reality is just like the public markets and the capital markets are pretty close, right? There's not a lot of companies going public in general. It's not just crypto companies. And usually like a lot when a lot of these companies went public in 2021, they raised money as a part of their IPO process and their listing where now that capital just really isn't there. Right. And so I think that's a big reason that companies haven't gone process, gone public. There's obviously some more industry kind of accounting uh, mechanisms that are being uh, discussed now. But I think from our perspective, we've been going through this process with the HUD-A transaction and been working with the SEC. And then through the bankruptcy of Celsius, it's actually a little bit of a different process because there's actually a bankruptcy and exemption that allows you to take the company out of bankruptcy through a Form 10 rather than a registration statement um, like an S1 or an S4. And so it's a little bit of a different process. And we've been very thoughtful in this new company to make sure that the business lines that are in this new company are very kosher, right? Are things that the SC has not gone against, are mining that's public already, managing your own personal ETH staking. And so we've been very thoughtful in trying to run this business in a way that not only from a regulatory standpoint is uh, will we'll get a, a blessing, but also from an institutional standpoint, people will see this as an institutional new business and institutional capital can get behind it and invest in the company and support the business and the growth of that business. Love it. Thanks for that. Okay, let's finish up talking about US Bitcoin. I mean, you guys went on like a sprint from 2021 on. It may, might even feel longer for, for yourself, but just looking from paper, like Compute North, you guys were the largest bidder. You purchased all those things, all those assets, and those a lot of assets, a lot of sites, a lot of access to energy. Then you announced a deal to move forward with a merger with HUD 8. That's still in process. I'm sure that's a legal, a lot of legal paperwork. And then at the same time, you're running this Fahrenheit uh, deal. A lot of things in parallel. Personally, I have a lot of questions for you, how you have enough energy to do that, but from a business angle, how do you see all these things merging together? How do you see like uh, all these ingredients working together? I can see it from like a high level, like Compute North side sort of feed into this. You guys have like the energy allocations, HUD-8 comes in, they have a large treasury, those sort of things. But from uh, uh, maybe 10,000 feet, how did you guys present this to, the, this to the creditors, what US Bitcoin is and what US Bitcoin is becoming? Yeah, most definitely. I think it comes down to kind of, preparation. I think a lot of times when there's success, people say, oh, wow, they did this overnight, right? And really back in 2021, our focus was how do we build the right foundation? I mean, a lot of our leadership team lived on site and like I lived in Niagara Falls for basically the first year of our business, right? And I remember when we were using different like technologies tools, like BTC tools, and we were like refreshing, trying to get the list of miners and it would take forever to load. I'm like, this just doesn't make sense. Like, how do you operate these things at scale? So we spent a lot of time early on focusing on how do we operate more efficiently? How do we build software? How do we build these sites more effectively? And back in 2021, like that didn't really matter. All that mattered was you can get a contract with a manufacturer and you can raise capital and you can build as quickly as possible, right? The actual costs, the actual efficiencies, when you had such high margins, no one really noticed. And when we would talk about those, people didn't really care. And so fast forward to 2022, where margins compress and kind of the environment was, we had a full technology stack that we built it in terms of managing operations, managing the uh, curtailment mechanisms. We had we developed and built our own sites. Um, we had really strong operations. So we focused on operational efficiency. And I think we just built the business with the mindset of this kind of ownership mentality of we want to build the best business. And the people who will win are the lowest cost operators. Whoever can operate at the lowest cost on a marginal basis will be able to manage through the volatility because of difficulty and kind of that equilibrium. And so how you should be building these businesses is during a bear market you're building and during a bull market you're riding those benefits of that building. But how the how the industry actually works is during a bull market, everyone raises capital and builds when everything's really expensive. And then during a bear market, everyone's quiet, right? Like that's what happens in practicality. When And so I think for us, we had the right foundation and we were able to kind of build a very large house and ideally a skyscraper on top of that. Um, but without that foundation, things would have just crumbled. And so I think that was really important. Uh, can't like our really deep bench. Scott has started to meet more and more folks from the team. So we have a really deep bench of 
team members. It's not just myself. I wouldn't be able to handle it all. So we have an amazing team to grow. And the merger with HUD8 really was, HUD8 is an infrastructure company, right? They have Bitcoin mining, but they also have their traditional kind of HPC data center business as well. And a lot of their team comes from the data center background. And the idea was they have a strong balance sheet. They have their public listing, both on the NASDAQ and the Toronto Stock Exchange. We're a private company, so it gave us access to a bigger balance sheet to continue to fund and do more of these uh, deals and growth. And then from their side, they needed a strong operating team to come in and help with the mining operations that they have and, and the growth that they had. And so I think we're aligned with HUD-8 to continue to be an infrastructure company that's really at the center of energy and data and being able to support and work and partner with folks like Celsius and Yuko and continue to grow that. But I think we're at a point where it's actually relatively easier for us to bring on more megawatts. Like we don't like working on smaller sites because the, the bandwidth doesn't make sense. It, we like working on 50, 100 megawatt sites at a minimum um, in order for growth and scale. And I mean, post Celsius, we'll be managing about 1,100 megawatts, about 400,000 machines. And so adding incremental machines and megawatts on, you have that platform, you have that depth of hundreds of people of experience and knowledge, and you can really transfer that. So for example, in Yuko, if let's just say we're building out Cedarville and we're like, hey, like we have a staffing issue. It's like, all right, well, let's borrow some people from all of our other sites to help staff this up quickly so we can get this operating and training. And so there's a lot of that cross collaboration that can happen and grow. And so we're really trying to build an underlying institutional kind of managed services, co-location infrastructure business where we can support businesses that want Bitcoin mining exposure, that want to, to grow in the sector. And we can be kind of that trusted operator. And the goal is we're so good that even when you bring us on and pay us, it's cheaper than you doing it yourself. Like that's the goal when we have an up scale. And I think we're actually getting pretty close to that as is today. Um, when we look at kind of how much other companies have built and operated these facilities. Um, so we're very fortunate and lucky uh, that we've been able to be healthy over the course of the last year. We know a lot of our friends um, and fellow kind of companies have gone through distress situations and, and growth. And I think we're just preparing to have a solid foundation going into next year as well and kind of riding through uh, that volatility. Ideally, Bitcoin doubles and everyone's super, super happy, but uh, I don't really predict the future. So kind of preparing for whatever's on the other side. Yeah, price going up last week has been pretty nice. One point of clarification I wanted to ask about was during the Compute North bankruptcy, you guys purchased all these assets. I think you assumed some promissory notes as well. And please correct me during this because it's been a little bit since I've looked at it. Assuming that you guys have some debt coming from that and you guys are going through a merger with, with HUD-8, which has a large balance sheet of Bitcoin, and then you're also taking on some obligations from the Fahrenheit deal, how do all of these sort of payment structures work together as of now? I know it's a fluid situation. Curious about the financial side of things. Yeah, so specifically with uh, the Compute North transaction, we structured it where we basically put up $10 million and then we got a promissory note from the energy company that was a part of that joint venture that we took over. That promissory note is at a joint venture level. And so it actually doesn't have recourse against the parent company. And so for any reason, let's just say we go into a really bad bear market for the next five, 10 years, and there's issues with kind of the servicing of that debt, that only affects our ownership in that actual entity itself. And so I think one good thing that I now can bring to the table for both US Bitcoin, HUD-8, and also NUCO and Celsius is I've had a front row seats to a lot of these distress situations and bankruptcies. And I think just being thoughtful of how we structure the business, how we finance the business, because you have to wear both hats. From a company hat, historically, everyone raised money at the parent level, equity, debt. And then when there was a mismatch or one site didn't work, like Compute North, they had a couple sites that were great. The problem is they raised too much money to grow and then it took down everything, right? And so I think from a company perspective, diversifying that risk, but then from an investor perspective, like an investor that invested in the Carney site from Compute North, for example, that site was operating great. The energy was the same. You had the customer contracts. So when you invested at that moment in time, then there was all this extra growth. Like you don't necessarily want all that exposure. Maybe you just want what you underwrote, right? And I think uh, I was talking to some bankers and investors, and I think in 2021, historically, when you think about heavy capex businesses, which is the business that we're in, and you can think about energy, oil and gas, is historically people would finance on the project level. When the market was running and equity was very, very high, 
everyone, everyone wanted that platform value. So they wanted exposure in the platform itself. And I think the market is rebalancing where you have investors that want project level exposure, and then you want investors that want parent level exposure. And so I think when we think about risk and growth, both under US Bitcoins slash HUD8 and for Nuco, it's how do we continue to be aggressive in growth? But how do we not bet the whole company, right? How do we do so in a really risk mitigated way so we can understand? And when we model, like we take a pretty aggressive sensitivity analysis, which is like the world is going to blow up to the world is going to be really great. And then we'll be somewhere in between and being comfortable with the outcomes of all those scenarios. And I think that's the way that you have to build because just crossing your fingers and hoping something will happen with Bitcoin price or network difficulty is not being a good fiduciary um, and being able to kind of manage being thoughtful financing to kind of protect against any volatility that comes. Because the one thing I think no one can disagree about is everyone has deep belief in the sector, but it is volatile. And being able to manage through that and stay alive is critical. Scott, I want to follow up with you there for the last question. When you guys were going through the details on the creditor side and looking at US Bitcoin and all its different like assets and liabilities and the different agreements it's made, what was, what was that like, first of all? That sounds kind of painful just to go through all that paperwork but also how did you guys come to like the decision there from that side of things from the fiscal side of things yeah we i mean we we really highly vetted all of these counterparties and made sure that we we understood you know the the details of of the agreements that we were engaging in and you know we, we felt confident we spent a lot of time with I mean, one of the one of the things I'm really grateful for is, you know, the auction took a very long time, so we got a lot of FaceTime with the the different people that were vying for these assets and got to understand who they were as, as people a little better than than just looking at the uh, looking through the paperwork. So you know, and at the end of the day, it was a very tough decision. I, I can't say that it wasn't. But, you know, we we collaborated and I, th I think we all feel good about the choice we made. Love it. I think we can wrap up there. Asher, Scott, thank you so much for joining the Mining Pod today. Uh, hopefully see you guys again on the show soon. Looking forward to hearing more about Nuco and US Bitcoin. Thanks for having us. Yes, thanks, Will. Nice to meet you.